Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you can make better financial decisions in your life. Straight ahead, I want to talk about a simple way for you to avoid frauds involving your phone. And coming up later, do you know that insurance companies like to keep it a big fat secret when an insured has died so they don't have to pay the proceeds to the survivors, the beneficiaries named in a life insurance policy? I'm going to tell you how to beat the insurer at its own game. So this is a really simple thing I want to share with you. And it, it's funny because I saw yet another story. This was an AP story about this. And it's something that I did on TV probably three years ago. And it's how your phone can end up with some kind of resonant virus on it. And there's a simple thing that may not eliminate it, but many times will. And it's really funny. So if your laptop is misbehaving, then what do you do on your laptop? You cycle it. You power it off and back on. Well, now that's what's being recommended for your cell phone by the NSA, the National Security Agency. So the NSA has determined that one of the ways to clear crud that could be dangerous to you off your cell phone is just to cycle it like we would a laptop. Once a week, do it at the same time every week, maybe when you get up each Sunday morning, or whatever time it is that works for you, have a regular time by rote that you cycle your phone with a restart. You power it off, let it recycle, let it open back up, You're going to lose typically two minutes of your life where you will not be able to access your cell phone. It's kind of like people who have to have coffee in the morning before they've had their first cup of coffee. They're shaking. That's what you'll do when you don't have access to your cell phone for those two minutes, maybe. But just taking that simple step, and it's in a new guideline issued by the NSA called the Best Practices Guide for Mobile Device Security the number one recommendation to deal with hackers is that. And it's funny because you think about all the things that criminals are trying to do getting into our lives electronically and practically. Their main gateway now is not a desktop computer or a laptop or anything like that. It's what we're on all the time, our cell phone. So this is not a foolproof solve everything problem. But it is a step for you to try. Krista? Okay, from Jay in South Carolina, listen to this story. Our family went fishing off the coast of Naples in a 25-foot fishing boat. We parked our boat five miles offshore and were fishing for about 30 to 45 minutes. A 42-foot sport fishing boat ran directly over our boat. What? 
Yes, what? you heard it right. A borderline yacht went directly over us. We noticed them just in time to jump overboard without anyone getting hurt. The Coast Guard came and picked us up and held us for most of the day. The negligent party ended up paying the captain for a new boat out of pocket at around $120,000. Our party of six had around $8,000 worth of phones, clothes, and extras that were affected. He ended up putting us in touch with their insurance company, and they will compensate us for these items. However, they don't, won't do anything about our time, day, and experience. This vacation was an amazing way for our family to bond. We asked for reasonable compensation from the individual and insurance company for their gross negligence, but they refused. We have no desire to litigate. Do you have any other recommendations? So, Jay, I have to take what you said and turn it upside down. You said you have no desire to litigate. If you ever said that to an adjuster with an insurance company, they immediately take that as a green light to take advantage of you and not compensate you. You have to, you have to, if you expect compensation, you have to hire a lawyer. That's the way the insurance industry operates. The insurance industry treats everyone as their adversary, if not their enemy, who is involved in a claim. Why do you think the aggressiveness of these personal injury lawyers is like it is? It's because the insurance industry has set itself up with the enormous hostility it has to people who've been wronged who would like to just be compensated. You're not asking for anything crazy, but the insurance company is putting you in a position where your only option is to do what your gut tells you you don't want to, and that is to litigate, but you're going to have to. You're going to have to find a personal injury lawyer in South Carolina who specializes in boat accident claims and hire him or her if you interview them and they are interested in you and you like them. And that's how you're going to have to approach the insurance company, unfortunately. So you hired them in, in his state because he was in Florida when Oh, it I'm happened. sorry. I'm sorry. I missed that in Florida and said coast of Naples. So you're, you're right. I was not a good listener. That's okay. No, so, that's crazy. Yep. State of Florida, and by the way, in the state of Florida, there are a lot of lawyers that deal with marine claims. And this is from Anonymous. My purse was stolen yesterday. It had everything in it, credit card, debit card, social security card, license, etc. I've already called my credit union, and they recommended I put a freeze on my credit. I did some research, and I'm confused between freezing and locking my credit. What's the difference? All right, great question. And Anonymous, we had another question about five weeks ago from someone who was confused on this thing between a freeze and a lock. The credit bureaus will always push you towards a lock instead of uh, doing what the law permits, which is a freeze. The reason Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian lead you into a lock instead of a freeze is they make their money selling off your profile again and again and again. And if you do a lock under the conditions of a lock, they are still able to traffic in your personal information unlimited times. The only way you really lock down your identity is it would be is is a credit freeze, which is a statutory solution that is a federal law. So 
Go with credit freeze. Don't go with lock. The credit bureaus make it ultra easy to set up a lock, which also, in my opinion, makes it easy for a fraudster to figure out how to remove that lock. Credit freeze is a little bit more difficult in time and effort on your part, but it's also a more effective strategy to protecting your identity. And while we're on this topic, if you carry your Social Security card right now, please don't do that anymore. Leave it in a safe place at home, firebox preferred. Only carry your Social Security card when needed, uh, maybe for a new employer or something like that. Otherwise, it's best left at home. It's not as much a source of risk as it is being on your person. And I'm so glad that Medicare cards no longer have Social Security numbers on them because that was a big source of identity theft in the past. And this is from Vicki in Montana. I'm a 47-year-old mother, and I'm considering going back to college. I have one 529 plan for both of our kids, but their grandfather has passed recently and left them full rides to college, so obviously they will not need it. Can I transfer that 529 plan to myself and use it for my school fees? I love your show. You make finance fun. Well, Vicki, thank you very much. And I'm sorry about the passing of their grandfather. And I want to tell you, as far as the 529 plan, is a common strategy that a parent, when the kids don't need the 529 plan money, that the parent changes the beneficiary to himself or herself and can use it for any eligible college expense. And in certain cases, for a minor child, use it for private school expense K through 12. In your case, is I don't know exactly what you mean by school fees, but if you are a student yourself, yes, you're able to change the beneficiary of that 529 plan to yourself and use it for your eligible school expenses. And I want to tell you, coming up ahead, so many people don't leave important financial information when they pass away, and there's one thing they don't leave that could cost their survivors big money. I'm going to fill you in. There's a scandal that erupted about two, three years ago involving the life insurance industry. And here's how it played. Insurers check an industry database continually that gives them a trade database that tells them who has died in each of the 50 states. And insurers use that database to stop paying what are known as living benefits. Let's say somebody had a life annuity and the family uh, just doesn't get around to notifying the insurance company that the individual who has that annuity has died and the insurance company doesn't have to pay a monthly benefit anymore. So the insurance industry uses this database to be able to stop paying out money once people have passed away. Well, the irony of this, this came out in this scandal, is that the insurance industry also knew when people who had life insurance policies had died, but overwhelmingly were not informing the beneficiaries that the individual had a policy 
and that the individual had died and here's this money for you even though the insurance companies knew the individual who was insured had died so now there's a database that you can go to that was set up by the state insurance commissioners around the country have set up a 50 state insurance locator tool that you can use to see if there's a life insurance policy that may have gone unclaimed for a family member that there's money that would be there for the beneficiaries. The beneficiary might even be you. But so often, people never tell their loved ones about a policy. And so there's money there that the insurer is supposed to pay out. Sadly, they know they're supposed to pay it out, but they keep it a big secret. So I want you to bust that secrecy wall down and check for various family members who have passed away, not just in the last year, but over the last many years, where there may be a policy that the insurer is just sitting on the money instead of paying it out to the rightful beneficiary or beneficiaries. And it's called the Life Insurance Policy Locator Service. And we wrote an update on this at Clark.com where you can click on a link and you're able to put in the name of a deceased individual, loved one, family member, and you're able then to, if there is an unclaimed policy for that deceased individual, you're able then to try to get the money for yourself if you're the beneficiary or help another family member or friend who might be a beneficiary of that policy to get the money. There are also states that have their own search tools. And we have the state-specific ones that are in eight states, especially useful if the individual lived in two of the most populous states in the United States that run their own locator search tools. If the individual involved lived in or died in California or New York, those two are two of the eight that have their own databases and we have hyperlinks to those. So I want to make this clear because I just painted the insurance industry with a broad, nasty brush. And it's important that I tell you not every life insurer plays this dirty. There are those that when they get notified, if they can easily locate the beneficiaries, attempt to notify them. But there are times even if they attempt to, they don't have accurate address information on the beneficiary. So the insurer in those cases is not trying to be rotten, but the result is there's money there that you're not notified of that is available to survivors, to grieving loved ones, and I want you to know how to find it, how to locate that money. Krista? This is from Kathy in Virginia. I've been trying to get my title to a vehicle that I paid off at lease end. All I've gotten is a runaround and hassle each time I call the manufacturer. I sent in the odometer reading four times. I finally got that resolved last week, and now they need a bill of sale that they were supposed to send, and I haven't received. 
They are telling me once again that it will be seven business days before they can send it. As of today, three months after I paid off the car, I still do not have the title and I'm unable to get my car registered that I've already paid for. I really need your help, Clark. Kathy, um, Virginia has a manufacturer registration process and the automaker's credit arm has to be registered in the state. I don't know in Virginia the Commonwealth of Virginia, which state agency board your auto manufacturer's finance arm has to register with. Likely it would be the state banking department, but that would be a great place for you to file a complaint against the manufacturer. And that would give some authority behind the problem and hopefully get the automaker to resolve it. The state has the ability, if they receive a number of complaints against a finance company, to suspend their operations in the entire state of Virginia in this case. So I would file a complaint with them, number one. Number two, if you use social media at all, it's great for you to start with as much humor as you can and as little anger as possible that you start Uh, tweeting and posting elsewhere on social media about the problem you're having with this major manufacturer's auto finance arm. This is infuriating. It's unacceptable. And the reality is that if you were late making a payment on the lease, you'd be hearing from them right away, right? In this case, they are abusing you because they're interfering with your ability to get the car registered, and that is ridiculous. Please try some of these moves and let me know if you're able to resolve it. If not, I need to see what other suggestions I might have to help you get that title moving. From Ed in California, thanks for the best financial and consumer advice on the air and for not doing commercials. I often feel betrayed by so many of my favorite hosts when they sell out listeners to sell junk. My question is on solo 401ks. You mentioned it on the air recently, and it was the first time I've heard about it. My employer doesn't match my 401k, but I max it out anyway, and I also max out my Roth IRA. But I make $50,000 a year from my freelance work and from my nine rental homes. Can I also do a solo 401k to shelter some of that income from taxes? So likely not. The better alternative in your case would be to do a SEP, a Simplified Employee Pension, which is a version of an IRA that's available to people who have side self-employment income. Since you're somebody who is a max saver doing the SEP, would be probably the appropriate next step. A SEP allows you to put aside huge amounts of income into an IRA, uh, typically about 25% more or less of what you earn from the freelance work. That would allow you to put aside approximately 12,000 or so additional dollars each year into a SEP, a Simplified Employee Pension, And from Lynn in Florida, is approaching time to renew my car insurance, and I'm wondering if I should keep my 26-year-old daughter on the policy or give her the boot. 
Three years ago, she purchased a car, and at that time, I expected the insurance company to tell us she needed her own policy, but they have not. We have therefore continued to keep her on our policy, assuming she would get a better price with us than on her own. My daughter is a nurse, and this past year, she and her boyfriend purchased a fifth wheel and have just taken their first traveling nursing gig. The fifth wheel is in both of their names and is insured under their own policy. In addition, they have a diesel truck to pull the fifth wheel that is in the boyfriend's name only, also insured. I'm wondering if with this increased liability, we should have our daughter removed from our policy. Yes, you should. (laughs) And it's really easy this time because I see that you were insured, the fifth wheel's insured, and the boyfriend's truck all insured with the same insurer. And so it would be a great idea for you to say, hey, you know, it's really time for you to have your own policy. Let's get that done. And at time of renewal, this is a perfect time for you to do it. And uh, you are a very generous parent that you're paying your daughter, the nurse's auto insurance for her. And I want to tell you, I really love seeing the reviews that you've been leaving about our podcast. Thank you very much. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please share it with a friend.